Welcome to episode 144 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host in life and co-host on this show through the journey of 100, almost 150 episodes. We're getting up there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, and the Michael Phelps of wine, Asher's Von Nightmare. Recently, I've been the Michael Phelps of tissues. My nose just will not stop running. Michael Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are, of course, also joined by the hardest working man in podcasting. He of the Cal Ripken-like streak of podcast productionness, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Wolfenstein. Uh, I was just waiting for the booze. No booze this week? No booze. No, that was, that was last week. That oh, was a different... Ashes ate, had the booze. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> a different no, kind of booze. It's different booze, yeah. Yes, yes. No, I don't think we have anyone that's going to boo you this week. Good. Um, we are uh, very... Poli- pri- <laughs> now it sounds like I've had the booze. <laughs> we are very privileged to be joined by a writer and director uh, and... Her film, Cinemability, The Art of Inclusion, is actually the subject of today's uh, today's show. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Jenny Gold. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, now, Jenny, I got introduced to you through uh, through Ethan Martin, who I've I've discussed. Uh, I've never actually had him on the show, but uh, I've talked to him. He actually was the first person ever to send me a screener and ask for his movie to be reviewed in his movie, uh, Eyes of the Roshi. And uh, he yeah. and I have developed a, a pretty good relationship over the last couple of years because of it. So You should have him on. He's a lot of fun. I've been trying. We just haven't been able to make the schedule work. Um, yeah, because he was, he was uh, probably my favorite part of that movie. Like I loved the way he acted in that film. I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of uh, knowing him, he introduced you and I through an email exchange, and we have, I think, like 20 emails now that we've gone back and forth over the past <laughs> few days. Uh, this all came together rather quickly. Uh, I was kind of surprised, to be honest. So I was like, hey, I have a slot open on Tuesday. You're like, hey, Tuesday's great. It's like, wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it when someone says a date and it works out, because I'm like, why put it off? And then I never know when things pop up. So when it was soon, it was almost easier. But I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing Tuesday. But when people say, you know, three Tuesdays from next, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing that day. Yeah, so. it's it, it just all worked out. It just was providence <laughs> because, like, the next time we have an open day is, like... It's a while. <laughs> the wow. end of wow. April yeah. is, like, our next open day. Yeah, it's a while. So, so. This, this came together really quickly and really it's well. It's meant to be. Yes. So, um, before we get into our, our opening segment, um, give the folks a little bit of background on who you are and what it is that you do. I'm primarily a film director. I'm a member of the Directors Guild of America. I also write and edit. Um have a production company called Gold Pictures here in Los Angeles, uh, which we launched in 2001. Uh, yeah, went to a film school with the University of Central Florida. Um, that's where I got my start and, and known for... Uh, 
for the Blair Witch guys who were in my class. And I used to tease that they got in the Ferrari and tomorrow I got in the, you know, beater, whatever the cheapest car is. I used to say Yugo. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a blast from the past. Yeah. Well, what we like to do uh, when we have when we have folks on for the first time is we like to ask them a series of random questions, you know, like like we talked a little bit off air to kind of put you at ease and and. If I was a tree, what kind of tree would I be? I always wanted to be asked that question. Well, I mean, we can. I mean, we can throw that in there, like. You know, I'm just know. saying. <laughs> so, all right. Well, why don't we start with that? If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you? Be? <laughs> I think I'd be a palm tree because when the heavy winds come, they bend. That's why they're all like sometimes different bendy shapes uh, and they don't break. So when heavy winds come, they were just going to go with the flow. Plus, I would imagine living in Los Angeles, you like the warmer climate anyways. Yeah, always. I grew up in Miami, so if it doesn't have palm trees, I'm not there. Yeah, see, we we have snowstorms with thunder and lightning up here. Where are you? Uh, we're in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, yeah that's where my buddy Pete Fairley is from. Pete and Bobby Fairley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're Pete. about an hour outside of Boston. Yeah, he only shoots there. It seems like hardly. <laughs> <laughs> seems like it, yeah. So, uh, Ashes, you have questions. I have questions. So, do you have a question? Um, so, if you could have. Any mythical creature as a pet, what would you want? It would have to be a dragon, so I could be the dragon queen. Oh, there oh, you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much what... I should get, get bonus points if I answer fast, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that helps too. So, okay. Uh, do you have a favorite movie character? Oh, um, I know this isn't an easy one. That's a tough one. That's so hard. Um, I have many favorite movie characters, but the okay. first one that comes to mind, um, Rocky. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll just stick with that one for now. Okay, that's a, and that's a good one. I mean, the second one would have to be the shark in Jaws. Oh, nice, Bruce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bruce. I'm a, I'm a huge shark guy. You don't know this about me, but I am a huge, huge shark guy. I'm actually wearing a uh, Massachusetts Shark Patrol shirt that I just got, uh-huh. and uh, a nice shark necklace. And uh, for my birthday, my wife is getting me a shark tattoo. So I am a well, big wow, shark I guy. I fit in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Ashley, you got another one. So if you could work on a project with anybody, and I'm talking anyone, you know, alive or or not, who would you want to work with? Oh, another tough one. Um, do you mean actor or or director? Actor, director, director, producer, anybody? Yeah, if, if you have like a, I'd have to say Spielberg. Okay, yeah, I know. It's, Sounds kind of, yeah, but, you know, I thought about Hitchcock, but, you know, he had his pervy tendencies, although I love, I love suspense movies, um, but uh, in case Spielberg's listening, I'm going to have to say Spielberg. 
I hope he's listening. That would be awesome. <laughs> Steve, Send come on the home. show. Hook yeah. <laughs> a sister up. Yeah, right? So, for my last question, um, for folks who may not be aware of who you are, and I think this is part of the reason why uh, you wanted to do Cinemability, you yourself are in a wheelchair. Yeah, I have muscular dystrophy. Uh, spinal muscular atrophy, to be exact, because there's 40 different kinds of MD. Um, and I've been using wheelchair since about third grade. Yeah, that's I had actually read that um, that you had been in the the chair since about seven. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. So, Second. so the question Third. I have is, if you were to add some sort of like, you know, inspector gadget or like sci-fi element to your chair, you know, be it like a rocket engine or a missile launch or something, something fun like that, what would it be? Well, I use a power chair that is pretty awesome because it goes really fast. So I don't need a rocket launcher. Um, uh, mind control would be awesome uh, if I could control others' minds, especially on the set. That would be very helpful. Oh, that would be helpful. Um, but um, I would say the ability to fly because then you could go over stairs and stuff. Stairs are the kryptonite for wheelchairs. So, so kind of like the, uh, the the Professor X hover chair type thing? Yeah, that would be cool. That would be pretty awesome. Now, I have a new chair that it's a 21st century bounder, and it goes faster than any chair on the market. But it also, I put ground lights on it. Ooh, really? So, and it elevates, so I can talk to all actors. Um, and uh, the ground lights are just for fun. They're, they're really cool. They go to my iPhone, so I can change the color. And it's pretty awesome. That does sound pretty cool. They got like, do you, do they like strobe? Like, can you have like a rave? Yeah, they can do anything. They can go to music if you put it up to a song, or you can strobe or blink or whatever you want. Oh, Different that's fantastic! Colors. Every color in the rainbow. Nice. All right. Well, that concludes our our getting into character sec- segment. You know, not too bad, right? No, well, that's fun. I could do that all night. I like that. <laughs> So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break, um, and when we come back, we're really going to dive into Cinemability, because there's, there's a lot to unpack with this film, and there's a lot that you know I know we have questions about, and we really want to get your input on this, because cool. this was a, I really, really enjoyed this movie, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting where this isn't our normal format. Normally what we do, like the way some folks review movies, we rev- we talk about different characters, but you know, knowing what we now know, like it's nice to take a little bit of a break from our normal format and get into a discussion like this, because I think this is a really important uh, topic. So well, I appreciate that. So we're going to take our, our quick break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss all about cinemability. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. 
There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you <laughs> took shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkeys. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Fueled by tacos, beer, and Bloody Marys, the only show featuring baby Jesus with a nail gun, the pride of PA, and the show with the eye of the tiger, ladies and gentlemen, Punch Farm. Hey, this is Mark from Punch Farm. I'm here with Mark Dose. Hello. I'm here with Illusion. Hello. I'm here with Nikki. Hey. Join us every Monday as we talk about life, tacos, beer, and movies. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and PunchFarm.com. Keep on punching! <laughs> So, what we are discussing today is the film Cinemability. Now, Jenny, when did this uh, premiere? Because I've seen a couple of different dates for this, and I just want to... Right. It, the correct date is uh, October 2018. Uh, the other date was when we were still testing and re-editing, and we did a film festival, but it wasn't really done. And IMDb, they don't change. Once you put something up, it's like, poof. You know, you do a screening, even if it's not really done. We re-edited it. It's much shorter than it was then and, and all that. But because um, because it did have some airings and some test screenings, which is what we were doing, um, it has <laughs> two. So we gave them the new one with the new you know, release date. Um, and... and it has a new name, a new copyright, everything's different. Time, anytime is shorter, but they still have the old date on there. Yeah, because I was, I was seeing 2012, and I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, we, we did things like we cut out Harvey Weinstein for, I don't know why. Oh, yeah, I remember why. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Um, we didn't want people getting distracted uh, on the film, because the film, as you said, had an important message that we wanted to get out there so we wanted it to be perfect so we did a lot of testing and and in that it really it was a matter of just screening and listening i would sit in the back and hear the audience response and i get a lot of good laughs actually uh, in an audience setting i don't know how you watch it at home by yourself but um peter fairly told me he's like you get more laughs than some of my comedies which i thought was awesome yeah um, yeah there were there were certain parts of it that you know were clearly being played for laughs, but you know there's also a lot of stuff that's like 
you know, it's it's something that you don't think about. So my first question for you is when you think about films and like how portrayals of uh, characters with various disabilities uh, are portrayed, you know, do you think with certain uh, films, like the first thing that comes to my mind is the fil- are you familiar with the film Tiptoes? Well, you got me. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, one a, that it's very didn't obscure. hit our research, which is no, no, no. It's it's uh, it's okay. It's very obscure. Not many people know about it. Uh, it does have a, a fairly well known cast. It's a movie about a man who has a twin brother who is a dwarf, uh, and. He is having this crisis because he's afraid that, you know, his, he finds out his girlfriend is pregnant and he's worried that, you know, the child is going to be a dwarf. And he's, he's Actually, so... I think maybe I did see that With now Ma- that you mentioned, because we, we went through so many. Uh, it's got Matthew McConaughey and his brother is played by Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman plays the dwarf, despite the fact that Peter Dinklage is also in this film. Well, who's Peter Dinklage play his friend? Yeah, he's just like it's a, it's a um, it's just a. Uh, so no, I do not know that one because that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and but, Kate, Kate Beckinsale is in it. I think she's McConaughey's girlfriend, and it's wow. insane. So it's like you have a movie like that where now I have to see it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have someone like Peter Dinklage who's a phenomenal actor. Well, it depends on what year was it made. Maybe he was up and coming and not, you know. No, no, you know, again, star, but he is, you know. I agree, but I still think he would have done a better job playing the younger brother oh, than say, uh, Gary uh, Oldman. <laughs> and drinking and having Gary on his knees, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. So my question is, you know, there are certain roles that could be enhanced by, you know, casting someone like, you know, and it was mentioned in your show and it was actually the first one that I thought of. Uh, Chris Burke and Life Goes On. Right. You know, but you have a movie like, say, Rain Man, where Dustin Hoffman is playing someone who has, you know, severe autism. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that if you were... Would it be even in this type of case, or even like the Elephant Man, when you you have someone, you've John Hurt playing someone with Proteus syndrome, would mm-hmm. it be possible to have someone play those roles? You know, considering like the demand that's put on an actor when they take on a role, or do you so, think in certain cases it's necessary to have someone who is, for lack of a better word, better word, able-bodied mm-hmm. playing this that role? Right. So in the film, I take a very, I try to show both sides and I don't tell my opinion as a filmmaker, but you're asking me for my opinion now. So, because I didn't want to force, you know, feed people. I wanted basically to start discussions kind of like we're having now. Exactly. And, and I think even though I have a disability myself and use a wheelchair and have for a long time and grew up not really seeing myself represented or misrepresented quite Frequently, um, there you know, filmmaking is a, an art, and there's a lot of business decisions into it. Also, I am a producer as well, so I, I think like that. Also, 
Um, so I think like a person with a disability, and I have friends who are actors with various abilities. Um, they could certainly play that role in particular. Um, but uh, but I also think as a producer, and so I think the answer is a little bit varied. A couple of things. You have to figure out what is the uh, situation of the funding. Is it possible to fund it without a name in that role? So a good example would be the sessions with my friend Ben Lewin directing who has a disability. He grew up with polio, so he uses a, a brace and um, Canadian crutches. Um, he's the director. He wrote it also about a severely disabled person uh, in an in a iron lung who wants to have sex. Remember the sessions? It was very well received. Um, he would have, if he could have, you know, put an actor in the role of that character who had a disability, but it couldn't get funded that way. So he put a name that would get it funded and then surrounded it with other roles, other friends of mine, like, like Tobias Forrest, uh, in roles that weren't the lead role, but still helped them get another credit and advance their careers. So it depends. Yeah, as far as the type of disability you're portraying and the ease of finding the right actor for that role who has that specific disability is a little bit tricky. And I think if you give it an effort and you can't succeed, then it's better to see a positive role on the big screen or little screen than not to see anything at all. I'm more interested in the portrayals of the character. Is the character negatively portrayed as in Million Dollar Baby or Me Before You or as a good example where the, if you become severely disabled, you should just die because your life is unworthy at that point. And that's a message that is hugely erroneous and also dangerous for the football player that gets injured that Friday night and thinks his life is over because that's all he's seen. Yeah, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That was a very you know eloquent way of of putting it. Like, um, <clears throat> as a person with disabilities, what does visibility and representation mean to you? Well, um, I'm also on the board of the Gina Davis Institute for Gender and Media. And she showed a thing called, if you can see it, you can be it, about little girls. And if they saw themselves in, you know, better roles than the sidekick, um, that they might think that there's career opportunities and how it affects social economics as well. And um, and, and that's for women uh, as well, but it's also true for people with disabilities. It, people with disabilities have the lowest unemployment rate of everybody. And it's not because, and I'm not talking about people who cannot and do not want to work. I'm talking about those who could and would want to if given an opportunity. But because people are kind of fed a steady diet of, oh, if you're disabled, you know, your life is over, or you're not doing anything, you're selling pencils on a corner, those opportunities aren't thought of. Um, Film can do a lot to change people's perceptions because it's very powerful media. I mean, when you see, for example, there's something called the CSI effect. After people saw Marg and CSI as a criminal investigator, 
women started going into CSI studies, and it became 50% of the job force. So it's, it's actually named the CSI effect. So um, growing up, me not seeing anyone in a wheelchair who was the, you know, professor, the lawyer, the, the teacher, the mother, the whatever, you know, can limit to what you think. Luckily, I had great parents, and so I could do anything, and so I became the film director. That's the story. So there are uh, there are arguments like um, you know for and again, and you you bring it up uh, well, not you specifically, but it's brought up in your film, like with Miley Matlin getting her Oscar. It's like, well, mm-hmm. why are you getting an Oscar? You're just a deaf person playing a deaf person, and it's like. You know, it sounds like one of those, like, you know, you talked about being politically incorrect earlier. It sounds like somebody that's like, well, you know, why should they? They're not even acting. They're just up there. It's like, okay, so every time Tom Hanks gets nominated for an Oscar for playing a straight white guy, like, that that shouldn't get, like, right. you shouldn't be nominated for that. It's right. Like, yeah, they were saying, you know, Marley Matten was, was, won the Oscar because, you know, she was a deaf person playing a deaf person. She wasn't acting. I'm like, people who speak win for speaking roles all the time. So what, are they not acting either? Right. Like, you know, it's... Right. She was acting. She wasn't that character. She wasn't in love with that guy. Right. She wasn't, you know, all of that was acting. She just happened to be the right type for that character. Yeah, and it's... And I... when, when you can, you should pick the right type and instead of, you know, faking it because certain things, uh, as in the film, you know, um, we talked to uh, the Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad about casting RJ. And it was like, he wasn't trying to be an advocate or be, you know, anything uh, specific. He just thought he was best for the role because it was more authentic. Yeah, and you get to see you know, real representation, you know, in, in certain but cases. But RJ doesn't walk with, with Canadian crutches in real life. You know, he, he walks on his own. So he was, you know, augmenting his ability, if you will, mm-hmm. because that's what the role will call for. But he was genuine in that he knew how to use them because he used them as a kid, you right. know. And it brought a real authenticity than someone faking it. Well, it's, it's like, um, you know, one of the things that, I brought up in, in one of our first emails, uh, Millicent Simmons from A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. You know, her being deaf was a driving plot point. Like, it yeah. actually, you know, in this case, it's not a hindrance. It's actually a, uh, because her family had to learn sign language, they were better equipped to handle, you know, this this uh, this situation, this alien invasion and yeah, it's perfect, and she and, and she was acting because there weren't real aliens there, right? You know? So, yeah. um, you know, and and you know, luckily she was given a great role, which which is outside the norm of Hollywood to give it to somebody else. Um, but they had enough star power with the parents that they didn't, you know, they didn't fall on that excuse upon crutch <laughs> um, to to say, oh, I need Trevor. One of the you know, films recently um, that got a lot of attention because they had a great box office <clears throat> was The Upside. And uh, I have a lot of problem with The Upside. Not I love Brian. He's amazing. Um, and I know that he was friends with someone who 
credits ability. And in fact, if you I know just make it through the credits of my song, there's a little a little special something at the very end with him and uh, Jim Troche. That's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the but I also know that that film he was cast first, so they were using his name to get Kevin and everybody else involved. Now. Do I think the film would have been better with an actor who really uh, had paralysis? I, I do, actually. And I think because Kevin's name is in, and Nicole is so big that they could have afforded that role to somebody else. Um, unfortunately, during the business, I, I think Brian got cast first. So then you'd have to, you know, um, rethink things. But would that movie have been made? Would Kevin have jumped on if Brian wasn't on? Maybe not. Maybe it would never got made. My bigger problem with the movie was that it again falls into. It tries to, to say some good points, but it does fall into that "I'm miserable, my life is you know over" kind of thing. Luckily, it doesn't end on that note, and I'm happy about that. But uh, it had some rough edges, and I think that those would have been better. The film would have been better. If it had someone, even a consultant, somebody employed that knew that, that knew the inside track, and and they didn't. See, this, you know, had he not passed, I think this would have been, like, a perfect role for Christopher Reeve. Like, Yeah. Like, that would have been, like, spot on, like... And he had, and, you know, and like you're saying, like, you know, they're, you're, they're banking on the star power of Brian Cranston, like he was a guy with enough star power. It's like, that's Superman, you know, like, yeah, it would have been a good role for him. Unfortunately, the film didn't come about until after, but there are other guys who it could have made their career. There are other guys who are, um, certainly experienced enough. Um, I think about the guy who was in, uh, Vegas, a TV show, Mitch Longley. Mm -hmm. He was also on soaps and he has a long career. Um, he might have been a little bit younger than Brian, but you know, you can make adjustments when when the the wheel is there to do it. Right. No, I totally agree with you there. Like, if you could get somebody who could who could get into the role, and you know, someone who's trying, you know, Brian Cranston doesn't need a, a career boost at this point. Like, he's doing fairly well for himself. I mean, mm-hmm. in a Godzilla movie, like he's the guy who was hyped up the most. Like, hey, look, we have we have Walter White. Look, it's Brian Cranston. It's like, yeah, you know. And but like I said, I think they put him in first, and that's why everybody else got on board. So you know, you would have to know the business side of it. And I'm not one to you know throw stones until I, I know all that. I know that in hindsight, at the very least, they should have done is have a right or hey they could have hired me as a director and then they'd been okay (laughs) because they wouldn't have made those mistakes that they made which were cringeworthy uh for people with disabilities and i think that's what this there's a scene where he gets upset because of a bad date and is all of a sudden unable to drive and backing into like that wouldn't happen that's a a cliche and so there were a lot of cliches because they they don't know they haven't walked a mile in those shoes. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's why your film, Cinemability, is so important because there was a there was a lot of stuff, and you know, one of the the things that came to mind it's 
you know, something that, you know, uh, uh, William H. Macy and Richard Donner and, and Peter Farrelly all said, they all said, like, you know, when you see someone, it's like, you know, like Farrelly said, uh, you know, Charlie's girlfriend enters the room, but it doesn't say, you know, she comes in in a wheelchair or on crutches or she's black right. or she's this, you know, and like Richard Donner saying, like, why should I cast Murtaugh in, in Lethal Weapon? He's black. Like, right. because it doesn't explicitly say it. And you know, William H. Macy talking about his film that he's making. And he's like, oh, my God, like, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that we have no representation whatsoever. And I have full control over all this. Like, I could have hired yeah. anyone I wanted. But because it's not written well, into the script, right? nobody thinks that way. Now, do you think that, you know... If a description were to be at, like, you know, in a screenplay or in a pitch, you know, there's a it doesn't have to be the main character and it doesn't have to be the focal point of that character's, you know, story arc. But, you know, do you think if that was included, that would be. It might help, I mean, to be more representative of what's out in the world. I mean, those moments that you talked about are awesome for a filmmaker because when they when they have a revelation on camera, I'm like, yes, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so, and they did uh, a lot of times. Like even Marley, I didn't think she would go to the whole Oscar controversy and she did. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get her to open up about that? She might not want to talk about it. And then she, she dove right in. And when other people like have revelations while you're shooting, that's awesome. But I think that um, once people, you know, the goal is that people with disabilities could audition for roles that aren't written for that disability. That, like, it's just the teacher or the lawyer or, you know, whatever. Um, that's the ultimate goal, that film would be representative of the population, which is 20% of the population are people with some sort of disabilities. And I used to joke that, remember Jurassic World? They had that scene, it was like a theme park, and everyone's running from pterodactyls. But in the theme park, there wasn't anyone signing or with, in a wheelchair. And you're in any theme park, you're going to see someone. Um, and I was like, so we're just fighting for our right to be um, attacked by pterodactyls. Uh, but <laughs> the, the, the main thing is I think we just need to be included because beyond... You know, when I did my most recent film, uh, which I know you want to talk about later, but I wrote, I was writing it, and I looked, I had a coroner, and then I had to look at it again for purposes of, you know, my eyes being open and being woke up with the Gina Davis women stuff. And I wrote a coroner as a guy, just because that's kind of the diet we've been fed. And I thought, wait a minute, this could be a girl. So I made it a female coroner. And the same as in casting um, a feature, you know, your project, film or TV, that you have to go, hey, what, what, you know, people, are, producers are afraid for two reasons. They think it'll be costly because it'll slow down production. If someone, oh, they might need special needs or whatever. The truth of the matter is that people with disabilities want to work and they're very accommodating. Um, so that's, not the case, or they won't have the stamina. And someone said that I'm like, what? I don't want to even get up to get a coffee. And I'm just rolling right over. There's no energy expense. You know, it's super easy. I can do 
24 hour days, let alone 18 hour days. That's a breeze. Um, so it's perception um, of employment, and hopefully we can change some of that when they see this film. Yeah, because one of the things that um, really stuck out to me was uh, David Lander talking about how he yeah. hide his MS because he was afraid. And like we were just saying, it's uh, the same as uh, RJ from from Breaking Bad. It's like he wouldn't put that he had any any issues on his resume because we were like, well, you know, now we got to make special concessions and now we got to do this. Yeah. And it's like you don't like. Uh, it, 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 it's the education of employers. And I count myself in it because, you know, as a producer, you're you're concerned about all the moving parts, right? Um, and people said to somebody I know once that, you know, she was like, why don't you put someone with a disability in your commercial? And they go, well, why would that person be at this fast food restaurant? And she goes, well, uh, my son goes to get a burger. You know, why Why wouldn't they? They think yeah. that it means some special meaning uh, rather than just being part of society. And you have to be, you know, if you're not seen in media, if you don't exist, then then how are you going to be placed or thought about when there is a job opportunity? Yeah, it's... Did you not to, to mention what, what, it, what about kids need to see themselves to, you know, to be able to relate. Right, and I agree with that. Like, you know, um, that's why I think a film like, say, Black Panther was such a huge hit because, you know, and I know you know, some of our friends that we actually had on the show were saying, like, this is the first superhero I can remember looking at saying, there's a hero that looks like me. Yeah. You know, and I think, like, this needs to be done uh, for folks with disabilities as well. And, you know, a lot of times it's, I don't know, for lack of a better word, pretty disabilities. Like, oh, this person's deaf, but, you know, that person is still attractive, you know, or, yeah. you know, this person is blind, but they're still attractive, you know, then you get into, and you, it was, uh, it was on my mind before I watched the film, but it was, uh, you guys brought it up, uh, my left foot, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis as Christy Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's something that's or uh, uh, again, John Hurt as Joseph Merrick in The Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. Like these are not, um, again, for lack of a better, pretty or attractive. But like this is real. Like this is reality. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen, uh, you know, documentaries and shows on kids with Proteus syndrome, and you know, the first thing people say to him was like, "Oh, hey, you know, that's a great." prosthetic you've got there or you know even eric stoltz in mask you know and like that that was the whole right. reason why the movie was called mask because the guy's like take that mask off you know when he's in class for the first time mm-hmm. and it's like you know this stuff exists and if we can shine a light on it i think you know rain man was probably the first time somebody with autism was really you know shown it's like this is a real thing that happens like these people aren't you know, broken or, you know, there's nothing wrong with this person. They just operate a little bit differently than you or I. Yeah, and if you, like, all those examples you mentioned, plus Ray, uh, you know, are are good films that show powerful people 
with disabilities having successful lives. And if you look at them, most of these stories are true stories, right? Because they come from a place of, of truth. Um, whereas the fictional, you know, movies, like, you know, Hallmark movies that are made of someone with a disability, or, you know, even fictional um, stories like uh, Me Before You, um, have a totally different story that they tell. But all those actors that you talked about, the big name actors, I think did a wonderful job showcasing someone who uh, otherwise their story wouldn't have been told. And yeah. Jamie Foxx did a great job uh, portraying Ray. And Ray was an awesome, very successful man. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone could have played that part better. I mean, t- t- that's a good example of you need someone that can play the piano. Okay. I mean, you need a lot of skills for that actor to, to do. And one of the, uh, one of the things I, when I talked about learning stuff, uh, one of the things I learned, uh, I had no idea. I mean, I'd, I'm not a big celebrity hanger on to begin with, but finding out about Jamie Foxx's sister and how, you know, she's got this successful music career, you know, because she's like, Oh, I want to dance on my music video. And like, you know, folks don't know that he's got a, a sister with Down syndrome. But, Who lives with them? Yeah, and she she's got this, you know, immense talent. But you know, people don't see that. A lot of times, people can't see past the disability. Right. And, which I, I think is is kind of frustrating. Which I think the problem with the film because people hear two words, they hear documentary and disability, and I think it's going to be like many other ones that they've seen over the years, which are about some obscure disability, and it's sad, and, you know, and, and you know, they don't expect the clip show that, that we're about, and that we're really kind of a love letter to Hollywood. One of the things that your film does so well is draw attention to the different tropes that are uh, put with characters with disabilities in Hollywood and how they kind of are, are, are tried to put in a box. You're either, you know, the person with disabilities who needs to overcome their disabilities, which, I mean, what is that anyways? Um, you know, the villain uh, or you're helpless. And I yeah. think something that your film does is really puts the average uh, moviegoer in a different mindset. It points out these these things that, you know, people with disabilities, they just want to live their life. You know, they, they don't need to overcome. My, my sister has disabilities. And she, uh, I was talking to her about this film, and she said, I'm so sick of watching these films, these characters, you know, people in wheelchairs who, you know, all of a sudden they can walk again or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something. She, she's also deaf as well. And, you know, people who have, and, and, and nothing against cochlear implants, but people who, who opt for that procedure or something happens and they regain their hearing and it's a miracle and it's the greatest thing ever you know she wants to see characters embracing their disabilities and just living their life and doing normal things and falling in love and having sex and being in romantic comedies and I was just curious if there were any tropes that you would like to see Hollywood move towards you know uh, or move away from as far as characters with disabilities go. Yeah, all of them. Uh, I would like them to move away from all of the 
cliche, tired stereotypes that they rely on. And I think they rely on it because the writers and the producers and the director don't have them in their life. You do. So you know the reality of what that character is. So if you were writing a character with a similar disability as your sister, um, do you know what their lives are really like and what they're interested in? Um, sometimes these things are getting made and people don't know. They, they don't know anybody, you know, um, and that's the problem. So I think that these old, you know, one of them that made the most is the one where, you know, like if you look at recently, because I keep thinking when I started the doc, I thought, oh, well, surely we'll find that over the years, um, we've evolved and no longer are there, you know, bad representations. But I was um, unfortunately surprised when you know, Mary Got a Baby came out and then Me Before You was just recently. And that specific trope of someone becomes disabled, they're rich, good looking, they have someone wonderful that's in love with them, and yet they want to kill themselves. Now, you know, a lot of people won't feel like that, sure. Everybody would initially, but, you know, everyone I know who uh, is paralyzed, they love life. And they're, you know, successful and married and having kids and all kinds of things like normal because it's not the end of the world. And yet that's what everyone assumes it is. See, so I think stereotypes and tropes are the worst thing in that Hopefully, if the film does one thing, it'll get people to, you know, shed that. But what's, what's really scary is that films that still have those make a lot of money. And I don't think it's going to change until the audience realizes this is wrong and stops accepting it. Right, well, that's because gonna... I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, um, that fine. was going to be my next question. Like, what do you think Hollywood can do better? And what can we as movie patrons do better? Well, Hollywood needs to have someone, um, if not in front of the camera, behind the camera, with that same disability, if they're telling a disability story. But more than that, they need to open their um, storytelling up to include a better representation of the world. You know, not just ethnically. Lately, because of the Oscar So White and Me Too movements, they've been talking about diversity much more. Um, and it was only after a few of us started complaining that, hey, hey, what about us? We're like the last bastion of area that can still be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they're starting to go, oh, yeah, we got to include disability too. Uh, because you're not really inclusive unless you include everyone. So once they do that, that'll help. And writers and producers need to to just add. Um, Vince Gilligan told me once it's like spice in a gumbo. You know, um, I started something called the Gold Test, which is patterned after the Betchel Test. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Um, so the Gold Test is originally. Was, is there a character with a disability, and are they not defined by their disability? Um, but 90% of the films had nobody. I mean, nobody. So I was like, well, we need to lower the bar. <laughs> so 
I, I said, okay, now we're going to have three, three parts. Part A is, you know, is there anyone in this world with any sort of disability whatsoever? That's the lowest rung. Uh, next would be, are they, is the character not defined by the disability? And lastly, is, is that character actually played by someone with that same disability, which is like the, you know, the gold standard. Um, so we're hoping, we're, we're hoping that the gold test takes off and people start to think about it that way. I think if Hollywood started to think about that in terms of when they're creating work, um, it would help. And if it, if it got as much, you know, attention, uh, then people would start, you know, changing their point of view. I, th- I think you're right, and and into your second question is audiences have to reject erroneous betrayals and 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 start thinking about it because if Hollywood makes money at something, they're doing it. Right, and I think what people need to do is they need to educate themselves more, make themselves more aware of other things going on, and I think that's one of the the. Uh, great things about this film is not only is it a great educational tool for just, you know, the average moviegoer, but I know from my personal standpoint, I try to be the best ally that I can possibly be. And, you know, making myself more aware of certain situations and things that are going on, uh, being able to educate myself and have conversations like this, I feel you know, makes me a better ally for my sister and for others, you know, with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole idea. You know, um, a lot of times people don't have anyone in their circle, you know, and, you know, make a friend. (laughs) Yeah. Go to dinner. Go to, you know, go to the movies, you know, and, you get great parking if they drive. Uh, so, <laughs> now, you know it's been a long time since you know. You know um, how do I want to word this? All right. So, movies have been out for a very, very long time, and there is a very limited, um, you know, sample size of people with disabilities being you know, like the, the, the main focus on a film, unless it's like, oh, feel sorry for this person. Like, this, you know, it's Oscar bait that they're going for, you know, and, you know, something like I Am Sam or, again, Rain Man or Awakenings, you know. Um, but I don't know how well-versed you are in the world of comics, but uh, people with disabilities have been... Uh, at the forefront from from close to five decades, you know. I mean, you've got the X Men, you know, with Professor X with his wheelchair, and he's the most powerful person in the world at the time. You know, you have uh, a character like Daredevil, who's blind but still is able to fight crime. You have um, even a character like Storm. Like, it's not so much a disability, but you know, she has claustrophobia. Like, there, I feel like. Hollywood could kind of take a, a a look at the world of comics and instead of just trying to crank out these blockbuster films, which don't get me wrong, I enjoy the Marvel films. I find them very entertaining. 
but comic books have done more for inclusiveness than um, pretty much any other medium. And you know, uh, one of our friends brought this up um, the other day, and it was a question that he he wanted to kind of pose to you. You know, is this something? I don't know. Again, I don't know how familiar you are with comic books, but is this something you agree with? Like, if kids want to look, you know. You know, unfortunately, like there's not a lot to see as as far as movies go for representation. But comics are a great place. I mean, there's every group is is not only represented but represented in a positive light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, the um, the movies. Uh, a lot of times, the evil character, like you like. Now, I love Wonder Woman. It was great for women and, and all that. But the evil scientist was a woman who had this figured face, which is the old trope of, you know, someone who uh, has a disability and therefore seeks revenge. Um, but do they have to be that way? No. I mean, I think there was a, a TV show recently, um, Arrow, the the girl got disabled and was in a wheelchair for a while and then had a miraculous healing mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, you know, and that was just recently. Um, so they have the opportunity. And I think, you know, one of the things that people or I really enjoyed X-Men because the story is about people who don't fit in, right? Yes. And And you have... You know, the head of the whole thing is a real creature, and, and he's the head master of the school. And, you know, I mean, that's awesome. And they even had a, um, you know, an action figure with him in his school chair. And um, that was phenomenal and, and very awesome. But yet, I think, and I'd have to do a special study on, uh, you know, percentages, but. But I see more of the negative portrayals in that world than than the positive ones so far. But I'm hoping that that changes. Yeah, see, I'm I'm out of the loop a little bit, but I know that there are you know there are you know there's a lot of uh, you know the, the Batman versus Superman uh, recent movie had a character who gets injured at enterprises and then. Um, Works with Lex Luthor against Batman because he's because he's injured now and pissed. <laughs> yeah, that so, that was a that was terrible. Who also that that was a good role of someone who could have been played, mm-hmm. but he didn't have to before he got injured. Oh, a big explosion! Oh, there's a guy under rebel. Okay, now he's injured. You didn't have to show him walking previously. I don't think they um, ever did. They did. Uh, well, they had him in. Like I know that I remember, he found him under the rubble, but I don't remember him walking. But I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it. I think we're starting to lose you. Okay, how about now? Is that better? Yes. 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 Um, I think maybe they had him um, on a visual effect shot. I saw where he. He had green socks on, so they were doing something, which is more costly than just, you know, 
hiring a guy. And that role was so minor. It could have been anybody. Yeah. Um, so that's a good example of... Just give somebody some screen Very time. high budget. Very high. Yeah. Make, you know, let them have the, the Dinklage effect. Give them a shot. Let them build up their career. Yeah. You know, because you know, look, look at the talent we would have missed out if he hadn't gotten those, you know, roles and built up and made, made great choices. But... But we need to do that for other characters, other actors with disabilities, so that they can become big enough star power to to not have to, you know, forego the lead role. Oh, ag- agreed. Uh, it's like when um, the whole story that Danny Woodburn tells, you know, about mm-hmm. you know watching, you know, The Wizard of Oz and thinking like, oh, these aren't these aren't you know, these are just magical people that are small, like they're not. You know, they, they're not dwarves or anything. And then you have uh, the Willy Wonka film, and he's like, you know, this I recognize, this, you know, because I've, and like he said, he's like, I've known people with this type of dwarfism. He goes, it's only until years later when people started using this as like a way to tear me down that I realized, you know, what it was. And, I mean, you even have one of the characters who is, uh, I, I'm, he's a member of the Lollipop Guild, but he was also in, Todd Browning's Freaks, mm-hmm. which, again, that movie came out in what, 1932, something like that, and mm-hmm. that's definitely not a uh, a a, uh, a positive portrayal of people with disabilities. But at the same time, they were using actual people with disabilities, so it's like... Yeah, it had to pass the gold death, actually. Uh, you know, that's why it becomes very... Much nuance, you know. I was like, "Well, they did, they did cast someone, and they had a lot of characters, and they sort of ended up, you know, fighting for their own uh, issues." So, so I don't know. I think I have to cast that one. Um, but yeah, the idea is that other people will start thinking about it the same way you are, and and you know, figure out does this is this a good representation. Or not? Does it empower people and 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 let people think differently about disability so that there's more for them to, you know, in America achieve the American you know dream? You know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, there's so much, there's so many opportunities or, out there. Yeah, and, and like I said, some people just don't have anyone in their circle that they're friends with. You know, because there's you know, they've been kind of like, oh, don't look, don't stare, you know. And ultimately, the truth is, everyone's just the same. We're humankind, you know. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what religion you are or anything or what disability you have. Ultimately, you're going to have the same thoughts, desires, laughs. You're going to watch the same shows, you know. only difference is you might not see yourself in that show. Right. Um, this has been a, a phenomenal conversation. Like I've really enjoyed talking to you about all of this because, you know, like, and that's part of like what we, what the reason why we wanted to to talk to you. Once I learned what it was that you do and you know your personal stake in it, I was like, I really want to talk to this person because. Well, I, I really appreciate it because what our dilemma is. So we're a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes, but we're the best web film that hardly anybody knows about. Yeah, because we're we're independent, so real. 
there's been a lot of uh, uh, engine behind, you know, letting people know. Although I stacked it with every star I could think of. I mean, I got Batman, I got Ben Affleck, I got Jimmy Fox, I got all these folks. Um, and they're being real and they're talking, they're not playing a character, they're talking from their hearts. Um, so I was hoping that, you know, I, I still think that because everyone is loving it so much, to get the word out there, and that's why I really appreciate what you guys are doing, um, helping me let you know about it. Well, I mean, we don't have, like, you know, the the biggest reach in the world, but, you know, we like well, to we, do what we, we can. We do have some, and we do like to promote things that... It's, you know, it's not going anywhere. If you love film and TV and you hear about it, tell two friends and tell them two friends, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it'll, it'll just spread... Um, because that's the way it has to do it. You know, underground movements kind of a thing. Yeah. We actually, our last episode we were talking, it was all about cult films. It was all about, like, how a film becomes a cult film. And, you know, like, this is a type of film that could get a cult following. Because it kind of so. flew under the radar. Like, there's not a, you know, $150 million advertising budget for this. Right. I wish. But there's uh, there's so much quality to it. Thank you, I appreciate that. Well, mm-hmm. hey, if I could do that with nothing, what could I do with something? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I will say this: uh, this is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. The interviews were very well conducted, and the overall just flow of the entire film was beautifully done. I was fully entertained and educated from start to finish. So thank you for putting out such a great product. Thank you. I have that quote. I want to put that everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quoting, I, yeah. I do, I do like I, I had mentioned to you in our email chain, I, I'm, I've been taking notes. I'm definitely going to... Uh, I think I could probably get a whole article just writing about the gold test. Because I think cool. that's... You know, people are familiar. Again, this is one of those things. People are familiar with the Bechdel test, but they're not familiar with anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because, like, yeah. here is an issue that we have found in film that we need to bring to light. And, you know, but no one's talking about, you know, the the voice of the disabled. And I think a lot, uh, a lot of the reason, you know, could be because you know, there's no super strong voice out there saying, hey, you know, come to my attention, you know, you know, look at this, pay attention to this, you know, like Ellen Well, I figured it was good because gold's a lot easier to say than betchel anyways. This is true. So, true. You know? <laughs> and, you know, people are, you know, tend to value gold quite a bit. Yeah. But, yeah. but what I was saying is, like, um, there's, there's no, like, Ellen out there, you know, Ellen brings right. a lot of you know, notoriety to the, to the gay community, but there's no one out there advocating for, for the disabled community. And I think that this is, that's what this film does. You know, when you see all the people that are in the film and like what they say and how they say it and like their experiences. And even if you don't recognize every single actor, you're like, Oh, I know that guy. That guy was in Seinfeld. Or I know that guy. That guy was in, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that movie. Yeah. And, and my hope and there's is... some truth that people don't know. Even like Teal here talks about how 
people with visible disabilities are different than ones with um, invisible disabilities. Yeah. Uh, and how, you know, you don't want anybody to let ever know that you're sick because you're trying to be seen like everyone else. And mm-hmm. if you have a cold, you have to hide it and things like that. People don't even know. So hopefully it's going to shed some light. I think it pretty much wraps it up in a bow. It's just a matter of, you know, so what I'm doing right now is trying to get the studios to watch it, you know, and infiltrate the filmmakers um, and, and go from there. And then, but I really honestly feel that it's important that the audiences out there see it because they're the ones that'll turn the tide um, because then they'll reject stories that are these old tried and untrue tropes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to do what I can to help, you know, distribute this and, and, you know, spread the word about this film. Uh, I can think of a couple of people who may want to give this a look and, and check it out, you know, cause we have a lot of friends oh. who have different shows and, you know, I will hey, I'm, I'm a horror for any, any kind of publicity for it. So I'm just going me up and I'll do it because I, I'm on a mission that people can, can see it because it's, it's fun too. And you guys liked it and, I just want other people to like it too because it it does have its uh, mission, but it's also entertaining, and that's kind of why I got in the biz is to entertain and enlighten, and hopefully make films that stand the test of time. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, before we let you go, because this this is a fantastic conversation, I don't know if we could. I don't want to try and squeeze anything else out of it because I uh, I do want to have you on again. Okay. Uh, in the future, we can talk about more of some of your other projects. But uh, let folks know where they can find you, and uh, I do want to talk about. I, I do have to say the F word once, so that oh, please, I'm do. not the only. Uh, my favorite, my favorite. You can ask me. My favorite cuss word is "fuck" because it's so um, versatile. Although you can only use it in a film once, and it can't be referred to as a sex act if you want to. PG thirteen rating. There you go. Yeah, and we learned that from uh, the uh, Die Hard. The uh, I forget which one. Mm-hmm. The one with Mary Elizabeth Winston Sorry. and Justin Long. But I didn't want to be the only only podcast that you had that wasn't mostly explicit. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we have to we have to make sure we get that. Um, so yeah, tell folks where they can find you. Where you know some of your other projects you have coming up. Um, you know where they can find your films. Just anything that they can do to where, uh, where you can find my unfucking believable films all right oh, now yeah. i'm on a roll um some abilities on itunes on amazon on google play on dvd uh it's everywhere that you would uh want to get it if you can't go to cinemability.com tell us you can't get it and we'll point you in the right direction and get one for a friend because you're going to want to share it yeah, truly. Like th- that's that's no joke. Thank you. Um, so yeah, well, I want to thank you for joining us, and and you know, thank you for you know doing your part in you know really bringing this to the mainstream, and you know, include you know getting the names that you got, you know, and that's that's definitely going to help. You know, having folks like Ben Affleck and Jamie Foxx and. Brian Cranston and 
you know, hosted by Jane Seymour. Like it's it's a quality film and it's it's a subject that, you know, nobody's really talking about. Well, we worked on it for a long time. It was like over ten years, so it took a while to get everybody and get it all honed in. But I think uh I think it shows and I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hopefully you'll enjoy the next one also. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure we will. Although it's completely different. That's fine. <laughs> I, I'm a, a you gotta remember that there's there's more than just vanilla out there. I yeah. Like to, I like to sample all the flavors. Good. Well, um, hopefully I'll come back and we can talk about our roach next time. Yes, absolutely. You let us know when that is ready and we will watch it and we will talk about it. But again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about Cinemability. And for our listeners out there, definitely go pick it up. It's worth it. Thank you. All right. Have a great night. You too. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created F is for Family. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Hello. This is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot. But you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers Podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. 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 And we're back. That was a really good conversation. Like, I'm really glad that. Like, we got a chance to do that. And seriously, like, this is... A, I mean, the past couple of episodes have been really awesome, talking about different documentaries and obviously two very different subject matters, but I feel, you know, important. Yes. Yeah. Important. Um, and what's also important is that you support these documentaries and these filmmakers. So definitely pick up Survival of the Film Freaks and definitely make sure that you go and if you can't purchase Cinemability, at least rent it. It's like two ninety nine, you know, yeah, on Amazon. Um, on on Amazon. 
on iTunes. It's so important to show your support to indie filmmakers and to make your voice heard. And we've said it before. We'll say it again. If you want to make a change, throw your money at it. Yeah. Um, you want to show your support? Throw your money at it. If you don't have a lot, then you know, share information on social media. Word of mouth does go around. So yeah, it does, share it, the, it share does the, go places. Share the links, like share the podcast. You know, um, we are we're gonna share this as much as we can. Um, I actually we we have a guest coming up in what the hell day is today? This is Thursday twenty it's twenty eighth. It is the 28th today. Yeah, so the 28th today. Um, we have some guests coming up in about a month for episode 151 and 152. And there was a tentative discussion about a... Because this is a crossover with another podcast. There was a tentative discussion with like a group like contest like we just did with Amalgamania. Oh. And... Oh. I'm going to see what I can do about including these two films as part of the prize pack. Okay. Because I think this is the, these are really important. Like if you love movies, you're going to love survival of the film freaks because there's so much to that. And you heard that in our conversation with uh, (coughs) Bill and Kyle last week. And obviously the conversation we had today, two different types of importance, Mm -hmm. but you know, these are independent films that really deserve to get their moment in the sun. So we don't have a battle for this week, obviously, because of the subject matter of the past couple of weeks. Not really battle appropriate, but we do encourage you, I guess, our, our throwdown for you, our listeners, our wonderful friends and family, is to just go out and show your support towards something or someone yeah. Um, Whether it be Survival of the Film Freaks or Cinema Abilities or some other project that you believe in. Just go out there and show your support either by throwing your money at it and purchasing something or just by sharing something on social media. Or, you know, maybe this week, maybe there's a, a someone in your life that has some sort of uh, disability, you know. There's a charity for it, you know, throw them a few bucks if you can. Yes, there are so many different charities and organizations out there uh, pertaining to specific disabilities and just disabilities in general. Um, You know, I'm sure that we could we could probably post some links. I mean, I know I have a couple of charities that are near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, just or or just do something to create some awareness. I guess that that should be our throwdown for this. Yeah, throwdown is to we're going to throw down some awareness out there and just do something nice. Yeah. So definitely. uh, Definitely be cognizant of that. Uh, So, yeah, we don't have a battle. Do you have wine? I always have wine. All right, so let's let's talk about some wine. We can talk about some wine. We don't need to play the the song or anything. Um, so Patsy and I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to take a trip up to New Hampshire to do something super totally cool, and we attended something called a barrel tasting. Now I was a little disappointed. I thought a barrel tasting was sticking a straw in a barrel of wine and and, and consuming it like a 
Capri Sun or a juice box. Uh, that is not what it was, but it was consuming wine from the barrel. So it gave us the opportunity to sample uh, several different kinds of wines from a couple of different vineyards. And, and rum. And rum, yep. We did try rum. Um, to show the importance of aging and the maturity process. And it was really interesting because some of the wines, you know, you, you they've only been in the oak barrels for probably a, a month or two. So some of them are way too tart. Some of them, uh, the flavors hadn't really developed yet. Some of them tasted a little fermenty mm-hmm. still. I guess I said that's a word. That's yeasty, a, yeasty, it's, yeasty. It's a word now, fermenty. Um, and some of them are great right out of the barrel. It's like, wow, I would, I, if you bottled this, I would buy a bottle. I really like the reds. Right now, yeah. The immature Merlot and the Tempranillo were excellent. It was immature. I made fun of my shoes. <laughs> But anyway, so it was a really cool thing to do. And then once we had tasted these wines in their immature state, we had the opportunity to taste them that, you know, have gone through the aging process and gone through the bottling process and, you know, we're we're ready for consumption. And you could really taste the the difference. Uh, One of the vineyards that we went to was uh, is a place called Zorvino, and that's in Sandown, New Hampshire. So now, good. Their wines are amazing, and unfortunately, they do not ship. Uh, you can to Massachusetts. If, well, well, they they don't ship at all. Well, they ship in in they, they, New yeah, Hampshire. They ship in New Hampshire, but they don't ship out to any other states. Unfortunately, um, however, Sorry, Tennessee. If you are in the New England area, or you are thinking of making a trip to New England, it's definitely worth it to hit up this vineyard because their wines are incredible. So not only did I try a Chardonnay that I actually like really, really enjoyed, I'll pro- I, I plan on picking it up when they are finished the bottling process. Um, I got a pineapple wine from them that was un. Believable, and again, I'm not a big fan of whites, but <laughs> white wine. I'm not a big fan of white wine. Um, but this was amazing. It was incredible. It had like the, the sweetness and the like, just just overall citrus flavor of of a pineapple while still maintaining the properties of being a wine. It was excellent. We also tried something called peanut butter and jelly wine and yeah we were which was fantastic skeptical about that and it was highly it came highly recommended from the winemaker himself uh part of the barrel tasting gave us the opportunity to speak to some of the winemakers and he himself actually created the peanut butter and jelly wine and we, we were just discussing it and his uh he really wanted to create an authentic peanut butter and jelly flavored wine. There are other uh, peanut butter and jelly esque flavored wines out there, and but beers like stouts. And yeah, stuff like but that. he really wanted to to create something that gave you the authentic peanut butter and jelly sandwich flavor. Uh, and so I asked him. I said, "How did you achieve that?" And he was like, "Oh, we just we we 
put peanut butter in a cheesecloth and put it right in the wine during the aging process, which I thought was just brilliant. And so we brought some home and we tried it and it was like it was it was like drinking, drinking. a sandwich. Yeah, it really was. It was, it was amazing. Like Welch's grape jelly and Skippy or Jiff or whatever. It was absolutely incredible. Like Jiffy. it was so delightful on the palate. Uh, it was a dessert wine, so it was sweeter than uh, your average wine. So I know, definitely it. a sipping wine. But yeah, it was it was incredible. So, anyways, I guess the point of this story is if you have the opportunity to go to a barrel tasting, if you're interested in any way at all, go. It's worth it. You can learn a lot about the winemaking process, especially because each vineyard does their own little thing. Each winemaker has their own little little thing that they do. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to really appreciate the art form of winemaking. Now, see, I'm also, my, my science fact ties into this trip as well because one of the things we learned is that, you know, for specific wines, you want to have the grapes at specific temperatures. So they would go out and harvest the grapes on, like, a cool September morning and get them and bring them in and, like, do everything they needed to do, and the grapes never go above 40 degrees. Like, they never see a temperature higher than 40 degrees. And, you know, we talked about the science between the uh, about the about of the fermentation process. And fun fact, the reason why... Wines typically have, uh, like if you were fermenting something, so wines, you know, stuff like whatever you're, you happen to be fermenting. Um, fermentation does not produce a beverage with greater than 12 to 15% alcohol because the yeast is killed by higher alcohol percentages. So if you're trying to ferment something, you're looking at 15% or 30 proof max. So it's not going to be the strongest thing you've ever drank. But it's still going to pack a little bit of a punch to it. But that's interesting because, you know, alcohol, you know, depending on what form you use, you know, can be flammable. It can be, you know, used for cleaning, <laughs> you know. Um, so you don't you don't want anything super high because the the yeast it's essentially yeast vomit is the, the the alcohol. That would be another great metal band name. The yeast Vomit. Yeast Vomit. Or the name of your sex tape. That would be gross. <laughs> Check out my sex tape. It's called Yeast Vomit. Yeah, no thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that. Yeah, that's gross. Well, you know what we have coming up next week? Next week, we are tying in... Uh, the next two weeks, we're getting back to the character discussions. And I'm super excited because I get to learn about a character, actually two characters, about whom I don't know as much. We're going to be discussing Shazam. Not to be confused with Shaquille O'Neal's Kazam. Kazam. Which I keep doing. And he's also Captain Marvel, not to be confused with Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. But yeah, this is Shazam, the Zachary Levi film that opens uh, a week from today. Yeah, a week from today, when this airs. Yeah, oh, I know you're giving me okay. a weird look. No, because we're recording this two weeks in the past. Yes. Um, See, we do time travel. And then uh, we're going to be discussing Hellboy, which I'm very excited about because I finally get to force you to watch those movies that you've never seen. 
And uh, you really love doing that. We're going to be joined by a good friend of ours and good friend of the show, Brandon Powers of Powers Combined. He is a huge, huge Shazam fan. And uh, he knows a lot about that character, and he knows a lot about Hellboy, and we're going to be taking feedback for Hellboy. So, Slagoth, Jeremy McFarlane, I know you guys love those characters, so send some stuff our way. We'll answer your questions. And then, uh, actually, Brandon's going to be on for two more weeks after that, because that's when we have our Infinity Endgame war time discussion. More Marvel! So yeah, we have we have uh, stuff stuff planned for the next few weeks. So, but yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Uh, Shazam, and then the week after that is Hellboy. So just in time for the movie. So if you don't know much about these guys, you're gonna learn. We're gonna learn yeah. you some stuff. I'm, I'm raising my hand. I'm gonna learn so much stuff. We're actually recording on my birthday. So happy me day birth. Hooray! <laughs> I have no yeah, idea on what's that going. note. So I think we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday.